Um, we're going to kind of be in several places. We're going to start in a minute in 1 Corinthians 2 is where we'll be for a bit. Now, part of being a people of the book is regularly praying for revelation and illumination about God and His Word. Now, how many of us regularly pray for revelation and illumination about God and His Word? Now, we may not regularly pray this way for a couple of reasons. One is praying and using the word revelation and praying for revelation and illumination about God and His Word it seems pretty unbaptisty, right? I mean, that's just not the way that typically we tend to think often as Baptists. Another reason is we live in a day with just an abundance of Bible resources. We, we have commentaries that are accessible online for free. We have good books and devotions that are available, podcasts and, and all manner of things telling us who God is and how we should understand His Word. And many, if not most of those things are excellent. But as good as those things are, they are no replacement for praying for revelation and illumination about God and His Word. Now the basics of praying for revelation and illumination about God and His Word is praying for the Holy Spirit to teach us. This is a basic part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to disciples of Jesus. Jesus, toward the end, before He goes to the cross, tells the, the twelve, or the eleven at this point, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them at the present time. But when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. Now, a major part of what the Holy Spirit was going to do for the apostles was he was going to reveal truths to them for them to write down. He would make sure they understood who Jesus was and why He came and what His death and resurrection accomplished. He would bring to their mind things that they had already been told and He would inspire them and lead them to write them down. And these things that He led, brought to, the Holy, uh, brought to their minds and He led them to write down, they make up our New Testament. Now, since the canon of Scripture is closed and there will be no new books added to God's Word, we may wonder, well, then what does this mean for us today? For us, it means Holy Spirit will reveal truths to us from God's Word. He will guide us to the truth of God's Word. He will speak to us about it, reveal things about it. Right now, we may wonder, why is this important? It's important because God cannot be known and His Word cannot be understood apart from revelation and illumination. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not saying apart from revelation and illumination, no one can read God's Word and grasp the facts it tells us. I'm also not saying that apart from revelation and illumination, no one can read God's Word and have an emotional response to it. What I am saying is apart from revelation and illumination from the Holy Spirit... No one can read God's Word in a way that leads them to know God, to love God, and to live for God. This is because there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. It is possible to know something intellectually without it having any sort of an impact on our lives. But once something goes from our heads to our hearts, again, that's what the Bible says about the heart being the center of our being, once something goes from our head to our heart, it comes out in our lives. 
Knowledge of God and His Word, it should do more than just stimulate us intellectually. It should do more than just engage us on an intellectual level. It should engage our minds, it should engage our hearts, and it should engage our will. Apart from revelation and illumination, knowledge of God and His Word engages one or the other. Intellectually, we may know about God and His Word. But this knowledge never makes it to our hearts, and so it never comes out in our lives. We can explain the why of the crucifixion of Jesus. But that knowledge never goes beyond our minds. And since what's in our hearts is what comes out in our lives, we're never really changed by what Jesus Christ has done for us. I've used before an illustration of an atheist who talks about that if you don't believe that Jesus was the Christ, that He died on the cross for your sins, and He rose that we might be saved, he said, then you're not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Now that is a, he gives an excellent explanation. And he understood that from reading it, but it never went from here to here. It meant nothing to him. It engaged him in his mind, but it not in his heart. It was intellectualism. And that can happen to any of us. And intellectualism is not the same as knowing God and knowing his word. Another problem is when knowledge of God and his word engages our emotions, but not our intellect. Knowledge of God and his word stirs our emotions, but we really don't know what it means. The crucifixion account moves us to tears, but we really don't know why Jesus had to die. Instead of seeing the glory of Jesus dying to pay the penalty for our sins, we see the tragedy of poor, pitiful Jesus dying because people were mean. And this is emotionalism. And it's not the same as knowing God and His Word. Without revelation and illumination about God and His Word, we will either have no response to those truths or we will have an incorrect response. Therefore, we must regularly pray for revelation and illumination about God and his word. Now, let me show you some passages and we're just going to kind of quickly hit them for you to look up later. And the purpose of showing these is so you can see that our knowing God and understanding what it says about God is dependent upon God revealing himself to us. And so Matthew eleven twenty five through 27. That what it tells us is God had intentionally hidden revelation about Jesus from the wise and the intelligent, but had revealed it to infants. Jesus in that passage says, no one can know the father except those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Matthew 16, Jesus asked the, the disciples, who do people say that he is? They give the answer, but who do you say that I am? Peter gives that great answer that we all know. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember Jesus' response? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's confession, his understanding that Jesus was the Christ, it didn't come about because of human wisdom and intellect. It came about because God revealed it to Peter. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, 18 through 28 tells us apart from revelation, people will misunderstand the cross. They will see it as either foolish 
or offensive. How foolish to believe that a God would come and die for the sins of people. How foolish to believe that a death thousands of years ago would have any impact on our life today. Or they will see it as offensive. It's offensive to think that my life is so bad that somebody else had to die in my place and I can't fix it on my own. But this this view, this, this seeing the cross as foolish or offensive is intentional by God, it says in that passage. Because God has set things in motion in such a way that people through human wisdom and human intellect cannot know God. That's God's design is that people cannot through their own human reasoning, their own human wisdom, find God. They can only know God as he reveals himself to them. Second Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 says the gospel is hidden from the eyes of the lost. And no one can see the significance of the gospel unless God shines gospel light into their sinned, darkened minds. These, there are more instances of this, but this is plenty to help us see our continual dependence on God just to be able to know God. So then what are we to do? Well, we turn to God via the Holy Spirit. And pray for revelation and illumination about God and his word. This is where we get finally to 1 Corinthians 2, uh, page 871 in the Pew Bible. We're going to start at verse 9. First Corinthians 2, verse 9. And this is a great passage. It teaches us. The importance of of Holy Spirit giving us revelation and illumination about God and his word. Verse nine, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered into the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, the point of that verse is that human minds really can't comprehend or imagine all the good things God has planned for those who love him. Now. This isn't saying human minds don't come up with stuff about who God is and and what God is like and and what God wants to do in us and through us and for us. People make up that sort of stuff all the time. The point of verse 9 is when people make it up, they're always wrong. On our own, left to ourselves, their own human wisdom and intellect, we would never really come up with the right idea of who God is and what God is like. We we would never really know what God wants, how God wants us to live. We would never really understand all that God plans to do in us and through us and for us. So how do we know who God is? How do we know what God is like? How do we know what God has planned? Well, we get the answer in verses 10 through 12. For God has revealed them to us. But how does he reveal them? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person that is in him? So also the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. How do we know what God is like? How do we know who God is? How do we know what God intends to do in us and through us and for us? 
God reveals this to us through his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit searches out everything, even the the deep things of God and and reveals them. The Holy Spirit searches these out and he reveals the mind of God to us. That's what it says in verse 11. But but not only does Holy Spirit reveal the the thoughts of God, kind of the point in verse 11 is only the Holy Spirit can reveal the mind and the thoughts and the will and the wants of God. Right. Notice what it says, just as who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person. Think about yourself. No one really knows what you're thinking. The only way anyone would ever know what you're thinking for real is for you to tell them. And and we could even think one thing and say another. This is what I'm thinking. But people really won't know. The only way anyone could ever know what we're thinking, what we have planned, what we're going to do is if. We open up our mouths and we speak them because we're the only ones who know this. In in a similar way, no one knows what God is thinking. No one knows what God has planned. No one knows what God intends to do in, through, and for those who come to Him through faith in Jesus other than Holy Spirit. And this is why we need Holy Spirit to reveal it. Now, thankfully, Holy Spirit has done this. And he continues to do this. He has done this by giving us God's word. Remember, Holy Spirit is the agent who inspires the people. He is the one who who puts in their minds what they were to write down. Holy Spirit was the one who ensured that they wrote it down accurately. did not add or take away or or say anything that God did not want said. Holy Spirit is the, the, the unction behind the inspiration Of God's word. So he has revealed to us who God is and what God is like. He has revealed to us what God intends to do in and through and for those who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. But he didn't just do it through the word and now he ceased. At the same time now, as we read this word, Holy Spirit comes and he opens it up to us, helps us to understand it. He does this because he lives within us. Look at verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world, the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So one of the things, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit comes to live within us as children of God, as disciples of Jesus, is so as we study God's word, he can open it up to us. He can teach us, give us the revelation and illumination so that it goes from our minds to our hearts and then comes out in our lives in all the ways God intends his word to impact our lives. Now we see in verses 13 through 16 why this is so important that we are that we understand we need the revelation illumination from the Holy Spirit and why we're open to receiving revelation and illumination from Holy Spirit about God and his word says we speak these things not in the words of human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who aren't Christians, that's what a natural person is. A natural person is someone who is not saved. Right? There is Now, this is important and it's not really a part of the message, but it's still something I want to mention. A natural person here, this isn't talking about a what we might call a carnal Christian. It's not the same thing. Paul deals with that 
in chapter 3. Chapter 2, a natural person is an unsaved person. So everything it says here, it says about an unsaved person. Now, again, just as a, a rabbit trail on this with it, any person who has the attitudes described here, they're not a Christian. They are a natural person. They are an unsaved person, no matter what they say. So here's what it says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And they cannot, for they are foolish to him, and they cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So unbelievers, non-Christians, cannot understand the, the things of the Spirit. Now, again, that's not saying they can't read it. And come to a conclusion, this is what the Bible says. They can. It's not like without the Holy Spirit they read it and it's in Swahili and they don't understand it. It means it never goes from here to here. They can read it and they can comprehend, but they will never see the significance of it. It will never impact their life. And the reason is because they are natural people who do not have the Holy Spirit of God living within them as disciples of Jesus do. Without the Holy Spirit... Teaching us the things of God sound foolish. That's what it says. They, they are foolishness to him. So think about, for instance, some of the things God's word talks about. Donkeys talking. I mean, as a real thing that really happened. Dead people coming back to life. Sea splitting so people could walk through on dry ground. All of these things sound foolish, nonsensical to those who do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. A natural person will hear those stories and think that is ridiculous that anyone would think that could really happen. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But, look at verse 15. But the one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. Spiritual, that's a Christian. That's who's someone who's born again, filled with the Spirit, a disciple of Jesus. They can understand spiritual things where the natural person cannot. Not only, it says in verse 15, do they discern spiritual things, but I like the last of it, for he himself is discerned by no one. What that means is in some ways, spiritual people do not make sense to natural people. The things that we as disciples of Jesus do because of what has been revealed and illuminated to us from the word of God through the work of the spirit of God are foolishness. To the unbelieving world. When, when you take God out of the equation. The death and the resurrection of Jesus out of the equation. Which is what a natural person does. Then almost nothing in Christianity makes sense. And, and almost nothing about what we do makes sense. It's just, just think about our gathering tonight. It's cold out there. It's dark. We all have other stuff we could be doing. Why on earth would we sacrifice our Wednesday evening in this kind of cold to come here 
to sing some old songs, read an old book, and talk about it. Seems silly. If the Holy Spirit doesn't take away the darkness from our minds, things like tithing, holiness, witnessing, denying ourselves, taking up our cross to follow Jesus, and many other, they do not make sense. Those who are spiritual have had this darkness taken away. And they understand these things, not just mentally understand, yes, that's what it says, but they understand in their heart the significance of these things, the value of these things. And that's why they do those things. When a natural person reads God's word, they see it as nothing more than a book. They may recognize great literary qualities in it. They may recognize historical significance of it. But not much more. When the natural person thinks about God, they think about God as God makes sense to them. They think about God in a way that is that fits into the mold they want God to be like. And so if you were to say, well, the Bible says God is like this and the this you're pointing out is something they don't like. Then they'll say, well, that's your interpretation. But as I believe God or as I understand God or as I know God, it's not like that. Anytime you've ever talked to someone about living for Jesus and their response, they've claimed to be a Christian. Their response was something along the lines of, yes, I see that what you're saying, but but me and God have our own special deal. Anyone who has ever made a statement like that is lost. They are lost at the time they make it if that's what they believe. If they genuinely believe that, they are lost. Because the things of God are foolishness to them. And the reality of who God is and what God's like and what God's a man, that is spiritually discerned and it takes the Spirit of God to do it. When you talk about receiving revelation and illumination from Holy Spirit about God and His Word, it makes no sense to the natural person. They can't understand how any rational being could base their lives off ancient writings from a culture so unlike ours. They can't see how it could in any way be relevant to their lives, except in the stuff they do like. To the spiritual person, however, revelation and illumination about God and his word are transformative. It's transformative because we have received the spirit who is from God. So what I want to do now, because this is our, our prayer service, we're going to take just a minute to pray, to understand the importance and absolute necessity of revelation and illumination about God and His Word. Let's just take a few minutes to pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you. Father, that you have not left us 
adrift in the world to try to figure out who you are or what you're like. You've not left us adrift to try to figure out what you want us to do and what you want to do in us and through us and for us. You have sent Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. He has revealed it through His Word. And through our time in the Word, He reveals the meaning and the significance of what we're reading in the Word. Thank You. Thank You, Lord, that it's not up to us to figure You out. Thank You, Lord, that it's not up to us to figure out how to be saved or why Jesus matters. That it's not up to us to figure out so much. Father, because you have revealed it to us. Help us, Father, to be a people who depend on you to know you. Who depend on you to understand your word. Let Holy Spirit come and let him reveal to us the deep things of God. As we study the word, let him always be at work. Let him always be revealing and opening and showing us what we need and how to apply it. Let it move from our head to our heart. Let it come out in our lives and let us be a spiritual people who live in such a way we make no sense to the unbelievers around us. Guide us, we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. But what I want to do now is take the rest of the time and, and give some specific ways to pray for revelation and illumination about God and His Word. One... First, pray to understand God's Word. Psalm 119 is, is all about the Word of God. Every verse in some way or another deals with the law, the testimonies, the Word of God. And one of the most common prayers in this is what we see here. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Teach me the way of your statutes, Lord, and I will comply with it to the end. Give me understanding that I may comply with your law and keep it. With all of my heart. Now, I like this because to me, this shows a, a twofold emphasis. Right? If we're to have revelation and illumination about God and His Word, we must study God's Word. Right? We, this is a key part of it. Right? It, it. We can't just say, Holy Spirit revealed to me things about God and His Word, and we never touch the book, we never open it up, we never become a people of the book who study to show ourselves approved. That's not how it works. It's not just going to download it in our minds apart from our efforts. What he does is he takes our efforts to study the word and and he makes it more fruitful to show us things we would have missed without his help. So that's what he's praying. Show me. Teach me. And I do want to point out that the psalmist, the the reason I use the two, 119.18 is probably one of the key ones. You're probably familiar with it. But the others, I wanted to show them because... He explains why he wants to know more. Teach me the way of your statutes, Lord, and what? I will comply with it. Give me understanding that I may comply with your law and keep it with all of my heart. But this is all of our praying for revelation and illumination is not for the sake of of just knowing more. Sure, we want to know more. We want to know it better. But the knowing should lead to the doing. We don't want it to just be in our minds and just have a big brain that we know a lot, but we don't live a lot. We want it to go from our minds to our hearts and then explode out into our lives. So every time we study God's word, we should pray for revelation and illumination so we could behold wondrous things from God's word. And then we would live it and keep it with all of our hearts. Second. Pray to see Jesus in all of God's Word. 
Right. So Jesus says in, in John 5, you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you're unwilling to come to me that you have life. So all of God's word is ultimately about Jesus. Luke, Jesus says again, you foolish men, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things about himself in the scripture. And then again, just a few verses later in Luke. And then he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, what he was opening their minds to understand was, was him in all of the scriptures. right? Because notice how he words it, especially in the last one. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He was essentially saying, all of the Old Testament talks about me. But they hadn't really understood the Messiah in that way. And so he opens their mind so that they would understand it. That as they read it, they would see him in all of Scripture. Now, keep in mind, like when Paul goes out to preach, often in the book of Acts, when he goes to the Jews, what does he do? He doesn't come in and start talking about how God is doing a new thing, does he? He doesn't come in and begin to talk about all of this new ways that God is changing everything that they've ever understood. That's not what he does. Paul starts with the law and the prophets and the Psalms and the writings showing who Jesus, who the Messiah was going to be, what the Messiah was going to do, how he would live, how he would suffer, how he would die, how he would rise again. And once he had made the case of what the Messiah would be like, he would say, that's Jesus. That is who I'm talking about. So when we read the Old Testament, when we read the New Testament, when we read any of God's word. We want to see Jesus in it. We want to know Him better, be able to declare Him better. We, we want to be Jesus people, gospel people. And so every time we study God's Word, we should pray for revelation and illumination so we would see Jesus in everything we read and in everything we understand. Pray to see the glory of God and the glory of His Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3. 18 is where we'll start. Page 883 if you have a pew Bible. Second Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed... The same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, God's ultimate goal for our lives is not for us to have a life of comfort and ease. God's ultimate goal for our lives is for us to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus takes transformation in us because we are not like Jesus. At our best, we're not like Jesus. And so much needs to happen and much needs to change. But notice what verse 18 says. This change, this transformation happens as we behold the glory 
of the Lord. And the Lord here is Jesus. As we behold the glory of Jesus, as we behold the beauty, the greatness, the worthiness of Jesus. And this is one of the reasons we pray to see Jesus in, in all of God's word. We want to see a, another facet of his glory, another aspect of his greatness. So we have to see him in order to be transformed. But in keeping with our theme of praying for revelation and illumination, look down at chapter 4 and verse 4. Well, verse 3, I'll start at verse 3. And who's, the, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they will not see the light of the gospel of the, notice, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is a blindness that keeps people from seeing the glory of God and of his Christ. And the blindness cannot be taken away by any natural means. Now, I know this is talking about the unsaved specifically. But let's be honest. Any of us from time to time can lose sight of the glory of Christ, can't we? Have you ever lost sight of the glory of Christ, the greatness of God? I, I know I have. And when, when that is veiled in my mind, I mean, I don't, that's not something I can just take away. And when it becomes veiled in your mind, it's not something you can just take away. Only God can shine that light. Only God can cause us to see the glory of Christ and the glory of himself. We in this world, I mean, this world is, is constantly trying to veil the glory of Christ, the, the glory of God. Think about how many things in this world are are just reviling the church and faith and all of that. If we buy into even a teeny bit of it, it just starts to, to blind us to the glory of Christ. And we need, we need help so that we don't let that veil cover our eyes and we miss the glory of Christ. I think, i got to hurry because we're running out of time, but... To me, here's one of the reasons I think we need this constantly. People fail. So there are Christians we look up to that have failed and will fail. Famous pastors who are significant and influential have failed. And others will as well. That's just, it's going to happen. And if my eyes are on preachers and people... Man, that's going to be devastating and soul crushing. But if my eyes are on the glory of Christ, then I, I won't stumble in those moments. I won't fall away. I mean, I think our church is wonderful. I think our church is exceptionally wonderful. But I think there's a pretty good chance somebody in our church is likely to hurt our feelings at some point in time. Just people together do that. That's just... That's what happens. What if I don't see the glory of Christ? I might fall away from church. Not just our church, but church in general, because just a bunch of hypocrites there. But if I see the glory of Christ, then it still hurt, but I'll not stumble and fall away. 
Man, there are so many things that could cloud our view and keep us from seeing the glory of Christ. And so we we need this veil to be continually taken away. So that at all times we see the beauty and the greatness and the glory and the worthiness of Jesus. So every time we study God's word, we should pray for revelation and illumination so that we could better see the glory of God and the glory of his Christ. And then one last place to turn. Ephesians 1, page 895. Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. The God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Knowledge of God. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? So from this, there's four Request to pray for revelation and illumination. First, pray for wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. That's what we see in verse 17. And by the way, this is the reason I use the word revelation in in the the whole praying for revelation. That's what we see here. Um, Often we talk about illumination in what we're talking about, and that's a part of it. But illumination, while a theological term, is not a biblical term. The Bible uses the term Revelation to describe what we're talking about. So we we pray for revelation as well as illumination. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So if we're to know God, who he is and what he's like, what he's done, what he's promised to do, we must study his word. However, our study of the word must be empowered by the spirit of God. Paul's prayers for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God to be given to them and to us. So the eyes of understanding would be enlightened. And I I like that it's revelation and wisdom. Right. We need the spirit of God to reveal truth to us from the word of God. Right. And and all truth eventually goes back to the knowledge of him. Right. The truth reveals to us who God is. The truth reveals to us what God is like. The truth reveals to us who this God is and what he expects of us, what he plans to do in us and through us and for us. All of that eventually ties back to him. So. We, we need the Spirit of God to reveal truth to us from God's Word. But we need the Spirit of God to give us wisdom regarding this truth to how we're supposed to live it out. What are we supposed to do when we, when we see the glory of Jesus? What do I do in response to that? When I better understand the greatness of God, what do I do in response to that? What does it mean to me on a daily basis that God is holy, holy, holy? How does that impact my life? The fact that I am a son or a daughter of God adopted, there's no condemnation for me. How? What do I need to do to live these truths out? We need revelation to show us the truth, but we need wisdom to begin to, to do them in the ways that are right and true. And so every time we study God's word, we should pray for revelation and illumination to better know God and his word. Pray to know God's hope. Right. So guys, your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of his calling. Hope. Would you say hope is something desperately needed in our day? But the world at large desperately needs hope. The world seems to languish in despair. 
All the time. We're on the very verge of it all the time. But but it's not just the world. How many of us in here tonight would say, I need hope. I, I need my hope to be renewed and strengthened. But notice this. Hope is a natural part of our calling. The hope of His calling. We are called in hope and we are called to hope. Peter says we have a, a lively, a living hope. Biblical hope is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance. God will do what He has said He will do. Hope carries with it the idea of anticipation or expectation. We, we live with anticipation. God is going to keep His word. We expect that if God said He would do it, we expect that God will do it because He said He would. And this is a, a natural part of our calling to Christ. This isn't next level stuff. This is the, the basic. I mean, you just think about the salvation we have that we're called to salvation. How hopeful is it that our sins are taken away? How hopeful is it that we're adopted as children of God? How hopeful is it that, that one part of the Trinity lives within us? How hopeful that we're not the same? That we're free from sin? No, I mean, all of that stuff is hopeful. And so there should just be a continual bubbling of hope in our lives. And so we should pray passionately to know the hope that is ours. Again, this is ours. It is part of our calling. We are called to hope. We are giving a living hope. We should have hope. So we should pray passionately to not, not for God to give us hope, for us to know the hope that is already ours through Christ. And not just to know it in our heads. But to know it deep in our hearts and to know it by experience, to know it in such a way it influences who we are and how we live. We, we should we should be so filled with hope. Everyone who walks away from us walks away encouraged because of the hope that is within us is contagious upon them. This is the way we're meant to be as disciples of Jesus. And so every time we study God's word, we should pray for revelation and illumination to know the hope that is a fundamental part of our being called to Jesus. And pray to know the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. Now, he goes on. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, this part is really interesting. Paul prays for them to know the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. Now, I've often seen people take this and, and talk about the riches of our inheritance as saints. But that's not what he says, is it? And that's not what he's talking about. Rather, Paul is talking about the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in us, his saints. Have you ever thought of the saints of God? As a glorious inheritance to God. I mean, that, that's an amazing concept. But notice also, it isn't the glory of God's inheritance in a saint singular, but saints plural. The glory of God's inheritance in the saints is talking about the church. 
Now, we don't have time to go through it, but I'll give you some references to, to look at. Paul emphasizes the church all throughout this letter. In Ephesians 1.10, he tells us God's plan was to always to bring all things together in Christ. Bring them together how? In the church. In Ephesians 1.22, Jesus has made, made the head over the church. Not, not head over a bunch of individuals, but head over the church. Two, in Ephesians 2, 11 through 16, part of what Jesus came to do was to make peace between the Jews and the Gentiles so there would be one man, one new man, one body. What is the body? What is the new man? It's the church. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, Jesus brought Jews and Gentiles together in the same body. What body? The church. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4, we're to walk worthy of our calling. By striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity with who? The church. Bond of peace with who? The church. We do this because there is only one body. What body? The church. Ephesians 4, 7-13. Gifts were given to the church for a purpose to edify the church. Ephesians 5, 25. Jesus loves the church. And he gave himself for it. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Jesus works in the church to make it a glorious church. Ephesians 5, 32. The relationship of a husband and wife is a picture of Christ and the church. If we go outside Ephesians, we find Matthew 16, 18. Jesus started the church. And in Acts 20, 28, Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Is the church important to Jesus? Yes. Is Jesus committed to the church? Yes. Does Jesus see the church as the riches of the glory of His inheritance? Yes. Therefore, should the church be important to us? Yes. Should we be committed to the church? Yes. Should we see the church as glorious? Yes. Again, I think this is needed in our day. Because, especially in our culture, an individualistic culture, people will say things like, well, I can be a Christian without going to the church. To which I would just say, can you show me that here? Can, can you show me here where people were saved and weren't a part of the church? Because I can show you where the letters were written to churches. And, and the ones written individuals were pastors of churches. I can even show you where one of the apostles wrote that the people who left the church demonstrated they were never really Christians. So if, if you can show me even a verse that says I can be a Christian and not be a part of the church, I would like to know it. But it's not there. And as our culture continues to press on us to, to make the church less important and to see it as less significant... We need wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit to see the glory of the inheritance of God in the church. Every time we study God's word, we should pray for revelation and illumination about the riches, of the glory of God's inheritance in his church. And then lastly, pray to know the boundless greatness of God's power. Verse 19, what is the. The boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe 
These are in accordance with the workings, the strength of his might. Paul uses four different words to describe God's power, and each one has a slightly different meaning or idea. Power, in verse 19, the first one. And he describes God's power as being boundless and great. It signifies God's power is far beyond anything our, our finite minds can comprehend. Next is working. And it carries with it the idea of, of energy. The energy needed to accomplish something. So the power of God is in accordance with, with working to do something. It's not just out there, but it, it enables those who have it to do something. Strength. Cares with the idea of having strength or ability beyond natural capability and might, the last word. Cares with the idea of, of overcome, overcoming or maybe even conquering. All of this boundless great power, he says, is toward us who believe, right? And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us? So it's the power is there. And it's been made available to us already. And this is important because how many of us pray asking for strength and power? Power to witness. Strength to resist temptation. Power to live faithfully. Strength to to be disciplined. Power to make a difference. But according to God's word, we don't need more strength and power. We need to know and believe the boundless great power of God that is already toward us as disciples of Jesus. Not just know in our heads, but know deep in our hearts and to know by experience. To emphasize the greatness of the power of God that is available to us, Paul uses three illustrations to show the ways God has demonstrated his power. Verse 20 great power of God was used to raise Jesus from the dead. Verse 21 through 22, the first part of 22, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. That he put all things in subjection under his feet. God's power is seen in Jesus being Lord of all. Jesus and the idea of. All rule and authority and power and dominion and all things are subject unto him. It's talking about spiritual powers. It's talking about earthly powers. So there is no spiritual power, angelic or demonic, that is higher than Jesus or even equal to Jesus. He is above them all. There is no earthly power that is equal with Jesus, much less greater than Jesus. He is above them all. And then Jesus's power, God's power is seen in Jesus being head over the church and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, is toward us as believers. The same power that set Jesus over every earthly and spiritual power is in us and toward us as believers. The same power that made Jesus as head over the church is in us and toward us 
as believers. Look again at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now, often we, we kind of stop there and we pray. We want to use this to pray big because God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. And we should pray big because of that, but it doesn't stop it. Look at what's next. According to the power that works where? Within us. So the exceeding great power of God is already in us. So when we say things like, well, God can do anything beyond, far beyond anything we could ask or imagine, that's a true statement and we should pray that way. But that same power is in us. And so you and I, as disciples of Jesus, we can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we think we could do. God is able to do that in us and through us and for us. We don't need more power to do it. We just need to believe what the Bible says, that the power that's already in us is there. And we need to understand it in our minds. And we need to understand it in our hearts. And we need that faith to come out in our lives. Every time. We study God's word. We should pray for revelation and illumination about the boundless greatness of God's power that is available for us through Christ. A person, all of this has been about praying, praying for these things. A person who doesn't spend much time in prayer is not likely to be experiencing revelation an illumination. A person who doesn't spend much time in prayer likely doesn't pray because they don't feel a sense of dependence on God. And so they will not likely go to God or his word for help. Thus, a person who doesn't spend much time in prayer is likely missing out on experiencing the fullness of what God can and wants to do in them and through them. And for them. Everything we've talked about tonight. Is right. It's real. It's available. None of it needs to be added to us. We have everything we need. In God's word. And in God's Holy Spirit. To be able to do far more than what we. Believe possible. But we need to pray. So God would make those truths more real to us. We need to pray for revelation and illumination so we would better know all of these things. To be a people who cry out to God and ask Him to send Holy Spirit to teach us, to reveal these things to us so that we can live in the fullness of what it means to be His child, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. A verse that in Ephesians it's often on my mind. The Apostle Paul talks about being filled with all the fullness of God. I don't even fully know what that means. I've preached it because I preached through Ephesians a few years ago. But I know I just scratched the surface of what it meant. But even more, I look at my life and I know my life does not demonstrate I live in all the fullness of God. And I want to. I want Everything that is meant to be mine through Jesus Christ. But to understand it, 
to know it, to have wisdom about it. I need Holy Spirit to reveal and illuminate these things to me. So do you. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we do pray tonight for Holy Spirit to come. Be the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you. He would enlighten the eyes of our understanding every time we go to the word. That we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. That we would better see your glory. We would better understand the power that is in us and at work through us. Let us be a people of the book. Let us be renewed as your Holy Spirit works through the book. Let us be more like Jesus and more of who you want us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.